Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. <coughs> Excuse me, please. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is Johnson's Air Conditioning. Dot com. <clears throat> also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Uh, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Excuse me, please. We've got a great guest for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about executive overreach in administrative agencies. Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will also be our guest here on the show. It is April the 12th, and on this day in uh, April 3rd, 1963, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, his Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and their partners in Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights, led a campaign of protest marches and sit-ins against segregation in Birmingham, Alabama. By April 12th, that would be 60 years ago today, King was in prison along with many of his fellow activists. While in prison, King penned the open letter now known as the Letter from a Birmingham Jail, a full-throated defense of the Birmingham protest campaign that is now regarded as one of the greatest texts of the civil rights movement. If you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, very moving letter. He was a great man. On April the 12th, Good Friday, King and dozens of his fellow protesters were arrested for continuing to demonstrate in the face of an injunction obtained by Commissioner of Public Safety, Theophilus Eugene Bull Connor. Connor, who had just lost the mayoral election, remains one of the most notorious pro-segregationists in American history thanks to the brutal methods his forces employed against the Birmingham protesters that summer. The man who had won the election, Albert Boutwell, was also a segregationist. He was one of the many who accused outsiders, he clearly meant King, of stirring up trouble in Birmingham. As he sat in a solitary jail cell without even a mattress to sleep on, King began to pen a response to his critics on some scraps of paper. The resulting letter was addressed to fellow clergymen, who he criticized the, the protest campaign. King first dispensed with the idea that Preacher from Atlanta was too much of an outsider to confront bigotry in Birmingham, saying, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. <coughs> Uh, while stressing the importance of a nonviolence, he rejected the idea of, that his movement was acting too fast or too dramatically. We know through painful experience that the freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed. <coughs> Excuse me, please. I have yet to engage in a, a direct action campaign that was well-timed. Excuse me, <clears throat> in the view of those that have not suffered unduly under the disease of segregation. <clears throat> King also advocated for violating unjust laws and urged that believers in organized religion break loose from the paralyzing chains of conformity. <clears throat> 
All told, the lengthy letter constituted a defense of nonviolent protest, a call to push issue of civil rights, and a rallying cry for defense sitters to join the fight, even if it meant that they too might end up in jail. <clears throat> the worst of Connor's brutalities came after the letter was written, but the Birmingham campaign succeeded in drawing national attention to the horrors of segregation. The United Auto Workers paid King's $160,000 bail, and he was released from jail on April the 20th. Four months later, King gave his "I Have a Dream" speech at in on the march uh, in Washington at the uh, Lincoln Memorial for uh, Jobs and Freedom, regarding by many as the high watermark of his movement. Uh, the following year, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which guaranteed voting rights to minorities and outlawed segregation and racial discrimination in all places of public accommodation. <clears throat> King was a great man. He wanted people to uh, judge his children not on the, the color but on uh, the content of their character. What a great part of that speech that was. And uh, again, the jail, uh, the, the letter from Birmingham jail, a great read. I encourage you to read it. We could use another Martin Luther King right now. <clears throat> well, one year after Governor Ron DeSantis launched Florida's law enforcement recruiting bonus program, the state has awarded over 1,750 bonuses to newly employed law enforcement recruits. At least 530 of them are relocated from the out of state with 200 coming from New York. California, Texas, and Pennsylvania. Several recruits shared why they relocated to Florida in a joint statement released by the governor's office. Many expressing gratitude are uh, our former New York Police Department officers who argued the city abandoned them. New York City is seeing record numbers of police officers retire or resign. This January and February, 239 left the force, 176 and 110 left during the same months in 2022 and 2021 respectively. New York uh, Police Department pension data reveals that departures represent a 36% increase from last year and a 117% increase from 2021. Uh, one former New York police officer, Davey, <clears throat> who relocated to Central, Central Florida last year to serve in the Clermont Police Department, said, after working in the New York uh, Police Department for 17 years, I began to feel as if the city and I served no longer, that I served no longer, supported my efforts. I decided to look elsewhere and relocate my family and practicing law enforcement somewhere else. He began the process to join the Clermont Police Department before the bonus program was offered, but still qualified for it. He said the program carried a message that there was very reassuring. Law enforcement were welcome and embraced here in the state of Florida, he said. And the bonus money he received paid for his first mortgage payment. Uh, money that came from a state that truly supports its officers. My family and I are grateful for the blessings that it has made us feel welcome and uh, also affirmed our decision to move. Another New Yorker, Kevin, <clears throat> who relocated uh, to work at the uh, Bradenton Police Department last summer, or September, said the bonus offset relocation fees and more importantly gave us a peace of mind by reaffirming our decision to relocate. <clears throat> but his family greatly uh, even more said, uh, though the state step up for children tuition program and Florida's education system has truly set our children up for success, he said. <clears throat> 
anticipating that uh, more uh, New York Police Department officers and others from around the country will continue relocating to Florida. DeSantis uh, budget uh, allocates $30 million to continue funding the recruitment uh, bonus program. In November 2021, DeSantis first invited police officers to relocate to Florida, <clears throat> saying to those in New York Police Department, Minneapolis, Seattle, if you're not being treated well, we will treat you better here. You fill, fill important needs for us, and we will com compensate you as a result. <clears throat> Shortly after his invitation, at least 14 New York Police Depar uh, Department officers left New York to join the Lakeland Police Department, located near Tampa. Uh, they uh, cited DeSantis' recruitment plan and a hostile work environment in a city whose leadership, they said, turned its back on the police. And while announcing the success of the program, one year later, DeSantis said, Florida is the first in the nation in law enforcement recruitment because our focus on the back-the-blue initiatives that make our law enforcement officers feel supported by their communities. In Florida, we know the invaluable service that law enforcement professionals provide our communities and we've got their backs, said DeSantis. <clears throat> it's easy to take uh, safety and security for granted once you have it. But, you know, when you see what's happening in New York and other communities around the nation, defund the police. So grateful to have the leadership of Governor DeSantis. Uh, and our crime rate <clears throat> is uh, one of the lowest in the nation's, if not the lowest. Excuse me, please. Well, uh, Democrats were dealt another blow from within their own ranks this week as another state lawmaker declared he was leaving the party. According to a Monday report by The Advocate, a Louisiana-based newspaper said Representative Jeremy Lacombe uh, announced he has left the Democratic Party and would be registering as a Republican. Uh, it was not immediately clear what prompted Lacombe's departure. However, he said now that the second Louisiana Democrat left this than a month uh, ago to switch party affiliations, and now the third nationwide after another lawmaker from North Carolina did the same. Last month, Louisiana State Representative Francis Thompson gave Republicans in the state a supermajority after he switched his party affiliation. And earlier this month, North Carolina Representative Tricia Cotham gave Republicans in the state house uh, a supermajority with her switch as well. It's pretty impressive. The switch has come as uh, President Biden faces a near-record low approval rating among key uh, groups. And what's encouraging about this is if you have three who've left, you know, you can be darn sure there's a whole bunch of others that are thinking about making the switch, wondering what kind of impact it'll have on them, whether they'll be ostracized from their communities and so forth. People are thinking about it because when you watch what's going on with the Democrat Party, you can't really believe that people support this kind of nonsense and behavior. <clears throat> President Trump will return to New York City this week for AG Letitia James' fraud case. James, in uh, September, announced a lawsuit against former President Donald Trump and his family. Her family's been invest uh, she's been investigating whether the Trump Organization inflated values of some properties. Today, I filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump for engaging in years of financial fraud, enriching himself, his family, and the Trump Organization, James said on September the 21st. She said her office seeking to make Trump pay $250 million, ban the Trump from uh, running New York businesses for good, ban Trump and the Trump Organization from buying commercial real estate in New York for five years. We're making a criminal referral to the Department of Justice. With the help of Donald Jr., Erica, Ivanka, and other defendants, Trump's variously unlawful, inflated, 
and deflated his net worth by billions to obtain and satisfy loans, get insurance benefits, and pay lower taxes. In short, he lied to gain massive financial benefits for himself, she said in September. You know what? This is just another attack. It's lawfare, isn't it? I mean, she's attacking him. She's already decided what the uh, crime should be before even interrogating him or or taking him to trial. Trump is expected to plead the fifth uh, this week, according to the New York Post. And believe it or not, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg filed a lawsuit Tuesday against House Judiciary uh, Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, demanding that a federal court invalidate any subpoenas he might send for Bragg or his current or former staff members in the wake of President Donald Trump's recent indictment. Jordan subpoenaed former New York uh, County Special District Attorney Mark Pomerantz last week, accusing him of politicizing the investigation into Trump and encouraging Bragg to change or charge the former president. Uh, Bragg's uh, Tuesday court filing, which named Jordan, the House uh, Judiciary Committee, and Pomerantz as defendants, asked for the court to prevent the enforcement of the Pomerantz subpoena and label potential future subpoenas from Jordan or the committee to uh, Bragg invalid. I think this is uh, Bragg has it coming. He can dish it out, but he can't take it, right? We should really investigate and uh, find out why he's dismissing and lowering the sentences for people who've committed felonies while uh, putting a false claim of felony against a Trump. And uh, this, I think it would be a great way to find out if we should get rid of limited uh, uh, liability for these DAs that are serving and who are supported by Soros and who are breaking the law. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com and give them a call. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, you may be aware that uh, health insurance plans here in the United States don't always cover international travel, and you want to make sure you're going to be taken care of if you're sick or hurt, and uh, you can get insurance for uh, pretty inexpensively. Uh, visit the website, internationalhealthplans.com. Uh, we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So I hope you'll visit the website. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, executive overreach, and there's several categories of among them administrative agencies. And numerous laws control what Americans could do and uh, what they can't do and so forth. Instead, we're, uh, and these things are in many cases imposed by administrative agencies, alphabet agencies like the EPA. Doesn't the Constitution require that all federal laws be enacted by Congress? Yes, uh, Article 1, Section 1, which is the very first sentence in the Constitution after the preamble, says, and, and this is a quote, all legislative power is vested in Congress. Um, so, you know, why did the framers write that? Because they were smart folks and they knew if Congress passes an oppressive law, then the voters can respond by electing new representatives. The problem is uh, sometimes Congress passes laws that are murky mm -hmm. and no one seems to know what they mean. And then Congress or the president instructs one of over 300 administrative agencies around D.C. to fill in the details of the vague law. And, of course, the voters have no recourse because these agencies and cabinet departments in the executive branch are run by unelected bureaucrats who are not responsive uh, to the political process. So true. And how can Congress uh, handle complex federal regulations without the help of administrative agencies? Well, from a, a, a constitutional perspective, it's not only which policies mm -hmm. are adopted. What also matters is that it's Congress and not the agency that supplies 
uh, the policy. So if Congress needs technical assistance, which sometimes it does, uh, it can get help from its own staff, uh, from universities, from professional associations, from think tanks like the Cato Institute, and, and naturally from the agencies that are responsible for implementing the law. But it's Congress itself that should have to review the final recommendations and sign on to those recommendations before they become law. And most important, uh, the agency should not be allowed to negate what Congress has expressly enacted, and that's occurring more and more frequently. The agencies enact laws not intended by Congress, and the agencies negate laws that were, in fact, intended by Congress. Yeah, so can you give us an example of an agency negating what Congress had enacted or what it had in mind? Yeah, not too long ago, there was this IRS rewrite of Obamacare that we've talked about in the past, and that declared uh, in, the, in the law that insurance exchanges, quote, established by the state. <clears throat> that was interpreted to mean exchanges established by the federal government. So the statute is crystal clear, and yet IRS regulations now permit payment of subsidies that the law explicitly uh, forbids. The exchanges were not established by the state. They were established by the federal government in selected states. And sad to say, the Supreme Court, for reasons that, frankly, I find inexplicable, agreed that the statute didn't mean what, in fact, it says. Unbelievable. So uh, is this a problem? Isn't this a big deal? I mean, isn't Congress still in charge? Well, I think the implications of this are very serious because Washington, D.C.'s alphabet agencies are operating overtime. And, and to grasp the scope of that problem, uh, consider that these federal agencies now dwarf Congress when it comes to making rules that control what Americans can do. Uh, the Code of Federal Regulations is a book that compiles all of these rules. It's now more than, three, uh, more than 200 bound volumes. It's about six times as large as the U.S. Code which contains all the laws that were passed uh, by Congress. So I think the U.S. economy, it's fair to say, suffers from overregulation. We have the FCC that you know, sometimes stifles Internet innovation, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau under Dodd-Frank. We have this perpetuation of banking's too-big-to-fail nightmare. We have the FDA that sometimes is suppressing life-saving drugs, uh, health and human services under Obamacare that's mandating what I think are unsustainable health insurance that's also too costly, and the Department of Agriculture that promotes subsidies for farmers that are too wealthy to need subsidies. And, of course, there's always EPA that imposes these global warming standards without any congressional authority, and it goes on and on and on. The agencies are really out of control and Congress needs to raise <clears throat> to rein them in. Yeah. On the other hand, isn't under-regulation sometimes a problem? <clears throat> well, I think the relevant standard for assessing our current regulatory framework <clears throat> is not some utopian world where justice is uh, ubiquitous and all the uh, inequities have been syst systemically purged from the system. Uh, we should look at the current 
environment versus an environment with more regulation. Uh, so that under those circumstances, I think the problems would likely multiply. And among those problems are of more regulation are things like disincentives to innovate. Uh, we have regulatory capture by politically powerful special interests. We have higher costs and we have fewer choices, higher prices, uh, overlapping laws, confusing laws, abuses of public power. And of course, we have these excessive amounts of resources that are devoted not to uh, to making uh, the country a better place to be, but to politicking and to lobbying. And unless you examine those consequences, I don't think you can make the case for more regulation simply because you may find a handful of apparent market uh, imperfections. And that's especially true when these regulations are being implemented by Mm -hmm. agencies that are not constitutionally authorized uh, to make the laws. And have no accountability. But have there been any new proposals to rein in the regulatory state? Yeah, to emphasize uh, federalism and rein in the regulatory state, uh, my colleague at Cato, uh, Randy Barnett, has proposed uh, a repeal amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And its essence is, sorry to say unlikely to be adopted, but its essence is that any provision of law or regulation could be repealed when the legislatures of two-thirds of the states approve. So these laws and regulations but not constitutional provisions, could be, under that amendment, reversed without judicial intervention and without amending uh, the Constitution any further. And such a repeal power, it would operate like a president's veto, allowing repeal for policy reasons, even if it's not tied to constitutional infirmities. That would be a real step forward, but I'm afraid that the proposal has not met with a positive reception among uh, folks in Congress. Well, once things get started, it's really hard to stop. After all, we've just spent three years uh, trying to, uh, for two weeks, to slow the spread of the coronavirus. So uh, once things are enacted, it's hard to get rid of them for sure. Indeed. And if you really want an example of overreach, look at this ridiculous student loan forgiveness program that's being implemented by the executive branch. prime indication of executive overreach. Again, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I hope you visit the website cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239 239- 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And Barefoot in the Park, uh, Neil Simon's great play, is playing right now. It's running through the 16th, just a few more days. Still a few seats available, so you can find out more and get tickets by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Uh, we usually start our conversations on Wednesday with uh, good news. Do you have some good news for us? Well, today I'm going to try to take my, my lemons and make them into lemonade. So uh, uh, I do believe there are good news stories that can be extracted from a lot of things that seem negative on the on the surface, Bob. For example, recently uh, Anheuser-Busch in, in the Bud Light uh, area have used the face of Dylan Mulvaney, a, uh, a transgender uh, to promote promote their product, while at the same time disparaging their uh, their existing, as it was called by uh, Elisa Gorda Heinerscheid, the uh, the marketing director of Bud Light, as uh, to be frat the frat crowd out of touch frat frat crowd. Now, what, what's the good news there? The good news there, Bob, is the dramatic impact, negative impact this is made on Anheuser Busch in general. Uh, the sales have dropped off precipitously uh, uh, in all areas of their market. Uh, they've lost approximately 80% of their, of their in-bar sales of bar light. Uh, the stock in general has dropped 3%. Now, these are, these are negatives, obviously, Bob, but I think what we're seeing is finally at least some variation of a pushback uh, as it pertains to this thing. I don't think there's a, necessarily an anti-trans uh, element to this, a, a transphobia. I don't think that's what it's about. It's certainly not in, in my case. But what we're looking at is the, uh, the, the, the pushback against having this uh, forced on an existing customer base, and, and they are pushing back uh, against that. Uh, I would also note that this is, highlights one of the problems, and certainly uh, no one is going to highlight this, perhaps except me, by the way, but that doesn't make me right. But I think what we're looking at is a problem of college-educated women. Uh, by survey result, 65% 
of college-educated women uh, are, are Democrats or lean towards the Democrat Party, uh, where a far lesser percentage of men. If we look also at that same group of college-educated women uh, by, by polling results, they find it is more important to prioritize protecting the environment and supporting social justice issues, even at the cost of slower economic growth and some job loss. I think that's exactly what we're seeing with yeah. uh, with Heinerscheid at, uh, at Anheuser-Busch. It is possible, and I'm not predicting this, that her actions may actually destroy the uh, the total Anheuser-Busch label at this point. Uh, that's that's uh, uh, the largest beer seller in the world by far. Uh, and yet, her single action, with no concern for her company, no concern for the brand, no concern for her existing customer base, thought that pushing the Mulvaney uh, face as the, the face of uh, Budweiser Light was the right way to go. Um, I just think it's uh, more indicative of other areas in American life where these college-educated women with, uh, with issues that are totally unrelated to the jobs they're in are going to take America into some very bad places, Bob. Well, and just think about what's uh, about Disney and, uh, you know, good old Trump said, if you go woke, uh, it turns to crap. He used a different word, but the point being is that, uh, you know, you can't shove this down people's throat when they're paying good money in order to be able to... Uh, uh, you know, to patronize these organizations. So Kid Rock <laughs> took his rifle and shot cans of Bud. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is, you know, if if she had wanted, the, the marketing manager at uh, Bud Light, had wanted to uh, move towards greater inclusion of women, I don't think there would have been any problem. Uh, I don't think that this was uh, somehow a, a dramatic uh, hate issue. No. I think it was exactly as you're describing it. They just don't want certain things jammed down their throats. And, uh, and certainly this, this was one of them. If we extend this discussion to the implications of, uh, of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, uh, First Republican Credit Suisse, all of them, all of them, uh, are in, in, in serious trouble, primarily because of their investments and their movements towards ESG investment and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think we're looking at these issues and the people who are promoting them as, uh, as supporting positions that are, that are not beneficial to their company, not beneficial to the economy, but merely support their, their inner feelings about these issues, which certainly is not what they're being paid for, Bob. Absolutely. I, if I were the CEO of an organization, I would say, look, you're able to get together in groups and discuss things and uh, have society around uh, any issues that you like. But listen, this company is dedicated to uh, not only uh, the well-being of its employees, but also its customers. And anybody who wants to promote something outside of our mission uh, on the outside putting, is putting their job in jeopardy. Well, as, as one of um, uh, Heinerscheid's friends had said in an earlier column in Atlantic uh, on her, that she would have been the last person in the world that she thought would be associated with beer. She never thought, she even thought she never drank a beer. I mean, so uh, this is a woman with no particular uh, investment in that world, uh, no knowledge of the world, no understanding of how choices are made in marketing. And by the way, I'm teaching an international marketing course, and I've, I've launched this question, taking some risk, uh, to my students. I'm, I'm waiting to see what kind of results back I get in terms of how they felt about this, this whole situation with Anheuser-Busch. That's so interesting, Andy. Uh, have any more good news for us? 
Well, it just this is a casual piece of good news, and uh, again, this is really making my lemonade, Bob. Yeah. But uh, it's recently been reported that global warming and climate change have increased the number of home runs in Major League Baseball. <laughs> which, I, mean, I am a big fan of the long ball in baseball, Bob. So, yeah. I mean, if that's happening to me, that's that's good news, Bob. Yeah. You know, again, that's reaching, but I think I can make that point from my personal perspective. Well, of course, uh, don't don't believe that nonsense. I mean, it's the the whole premise of global warming is just, I can't believe that we're uh, flushing everything down the toilet in our society financially because of global warming. Uh, well, I mean, again, again, I've, I've said so many different cycles in terms of how these things have been have been seen from 1922 when it was the uh, pr- prediction of the the ice age to 1970 where the ice age was once again predicted. And by the way, uh, the ice age is a far more luck- likely uh, climactic phenomenon than would be any any seriously damaged damaging global warming. As I pointed out on your show, and I know you're aware, during the periods of greatest global warming on this planet were the periods of greatest advantage of civilization. So this is nonsense, even if they're correct, it's nonsense, and yet we are sacrificing our well-being, particularly economic and energy-based well-being, to a premise that, even if true, is not worth uh, reacting to, Bob. Well, based on uh, logic, when you consider that we have an ice age about every 70,000 years, it's likely that in about another 25 or 30,000 years, we're going to have a slab of ice six, mile, six miles high over <laughs> over the United States. So, uh, again... Uh, you see, that, that is a prediction that is valid, because it is an absolute truth what you're stating, Bob. Right. In other words, this isn't dubious. <clears throat> Timing is the only factor that's... that's uh, the variable, right. but the fact that it will happen is un, un, undoubtable. Yeah. Uh, so we, we really have to look at this and see whether or not we are, by our actions, pushing us closer uh, to a to an ice age. Now, I'm not predicting that. Obviously, the time frames are just not predictable, but I think this is the most serious uh, climate situation that might occur, Bob. Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University.
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by, we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. So, Andy, you're just a cornucopia of good news. I, I think that's probably very accurate, what you just said, but uh, from my perspective, a piece of good news is the Democrats putting themselves on full display uh, by announcing that Chicago will be their, their national convention center in 2024. Uh, uh, President Biden described this, uh, describing the city as a great choice to showcase the country's historic progress on his watch. Well, if he means by showcasing the progress, if he means the, uh, the progress of increasing crime, the progress in increasing corruption, yeah. the, inc- the, the progress in people leaving Chicago and uh, leaving a lot of their uh, entitlement programs, going, they're going to be unfunded uh, in the future. I think it is exactly as Joe Biden described it. Uh, I can't believe they are that tone deaf to choose Chicago and the implications of Chicago as it will unfold in 2024. There is no doubt in my mind that there will be unrest in Chicago during that that period of time. And yes, Biden is right. Uh, The nation will be able to see uh, the progress, as I've defined it, uh, of Biden uh, during his walk. Absolutely. Although I must say, I I think uh, the Republicans selected Milwaukee, did they not? I, I don't remember if that's true. It might sound, yeah, I think it is true. Yeah, I, so, I mean, that's kind of an interesting choice as well. But I think Chicago is a really, I'm, I'm quite certain, as you just mentioned, that there's going to be uh, violence in Chicago during the convention. Uh, plus the abandoning of the, the major cities. I think, as I read uh, recently, the, the 10 largest American cities have, have lost this past year 1 million citizens. I mean, wow. So this is not some just some uh, incidental statistical blurb. This is a uh, this is a real phenomenon that is that is gaining a lot of traction. So uh, I think these cities and the states where they're losing population are going to find in the immediate future very difficult to fund themselves, particularly funding their entitlement programs that uh, that are excessive in almost every case, Bob. 
Did you hear San Francisco closed their Whole Foods? <laughs> yeah, I mean the the the, uh, the, the center, the uh, Whole Foods Center in in San Francisco closed uh, as they defined it, I think, because of the the crime element. And certainly, we've seen several instances of that in the the immediate uh, past, though just recently. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is a an issue here in San Francisco, one of the uh, most beautiful and historically uh, desirable tourist locations in America, and yet people are are beginning to avoid it again, uh, like, like the plague at this point. Absolutely. Well, so you've had a lot of good news, Andy. Any more? I have one more good news story, and it'll extend into some other things. But last night I watched uh, Donald Trump being interviewed on Tucker Carlson. Yes. Uh, Tucker has not been a huge Trump fan, not a detractor necessarily, but not a, a big Trump fan. And it almost seemed that Tucker was discovering Donald Trump last night. Mm. Uh, he made some extremely laudatory comments about about Trump, how he handled himself. Uh, and again, for those that have followed Trump's career since 2015, uh, are not surprised surprised by that. Uh, Trump showed, of course, an extensive, uh, expansive knowledge of uh, foreign policy issues. Uh, his maturity towards how he, he dealt or, or felt about these things was on, was on full display. Uh, I'd like to extend this just to some, some other comments and uh, not directly related this because it did not come, in, come up in the interview. But first of all, the, the charges being leveled by Bragg in New York against Trump where there are no charges being leveled at Trump. It's just quite an amazing phenomenon that the, the actual legality is being left out of the indictment and uh, quite an amazing situation to see. And, of course, uh, Bragg is being widely condemned by any at least moderate uh, legal authority. So uh, just a, a horrible situation for America, specifically for Trump, of course, uh, but again, more so for the, for the nation as a whole. I, I'd also like to allude to the fact that this is my perception, so I, uh, it's hard to say whether my perception is accurate, but it is my perception, that I think the uh, DeSantis is being diminished uh, as Trump becomes more expansive in this process. At this point, the last poll I saw is um, uh, Trump, in terms of plurality ahead of DeSantis, is, has three times uh, the polling positives uh, as compared to DeSantis. Now, to me, the, this is good news for, for Donald Trump because I'm a big supporter. But to me, it's bad news for someone else that I, I really want to see emerging as a strong national candidate. Uh, and I think uh, Ron DeSantis is being hurt by this. Let me just read a little bit of what I wrote in October of, of, of 2022. I predicted DeSantis will not enter a street fight with our great president. This is 2022 I'm writing. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, DeSantis is an intelligent, savvy politician. He is also younger. There's absolutely no reason for him to choose to do battle with Trump in 2024. This would only serve to diminish his political capital. If he lost this challenge, his political career is diminished, if not over. So I think my perception is that is what I'm seeing now, is a Ron DeSantis who is being diminished, uh, and I, I don't want to see that. I think it is a, uh, a damaging thing for America and for Florida specifically, obviously. Uh, but in the long run, I, I want DeSantis to emerge as what I know him to be, a strong defender of, of, uh, of, uh, of human rights and liberty, uh, and to be the spokesperson at the national level that he's been at the Florida level. So I think that, uh, and I still hope, 
that he does not enter this presidential primary. Mm. I know you want to see the, pri- the, the primary debates, and you, you think they're beneficial, and I'm not going to interfere with that. Uh, but I don't think DeSantis should be part of that process. Yeah, well, <clears throat> DeSantis is doing so much to increase the value of his stock right here in Florida. I mean, every day, more good news, more good judgments about uh, and how he's actually being administering the law here in the state of Florida. I just really commend him on everything that he's done. Uh, you know, getting uh, right now, our crime rate is so low by comparison to Chicago and other cities. Why? Because he's paying bonuses to officers who's willing to come down to Florida and leave New York, Chicago, and other cities uh, where they're not appreciated, and they are appreciated here. So, uh, I think this. I don't think uh, if there's some sort of temporary uh, damage to his reputation, I think it will soon be gained back very quickly. Uh, you know, I, I hope I hope that's true. I am a big DeSantis supporter. It may not have sounded like that, yeah. but I don't want to see this man diminished in a primary uh, battle with with Donald Trump. I think everything you pointed out, Bob, is accurate. I, I think he is doing a, a incredible job. Obviously, the the, the best governor in in America. Uh, as to whether or not that translates to the national level, of course, that's that's debatable. So again, my position and yours are not dramatically different. Uh, you are uh, advocating. For, for DeSantis because he's done a great job. I support that position uh, 100%. My, my, my fear is that he will be diminished if he if he makes this challenge. But. Right. So, Andy, we need to take another break. Can you stick around? I have no place better to be. All right. We have, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policies and they help prepare elected officials to have winning uh, uh, plans on the le- in the state and uh, national legislature. So I hope you visit the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. <clears throat> so... Uh, I'm just wondering now, you've seen these documents have now shown up, and uh, it's a big problem. A lot of uh, top-secret information that's being shared about what's happening in Ukraine and so forth. What are your thoughts? Well, it took place during the late February to early March period of of this year. Um, It's uh, just being described as more significant as a a release than, than took place under Snowden. Uh, I think we should note, before we get any further into this, that there are 1.5 million people who have access to top-secret documents. I mean, so uh, obviously this is something that can be that can occur. Uh, many of the, the commentators, or several at least, have suggested this is some kid at home whose father or mother brought home a, a, a briefcase, and he, he grabbed the documents and, and, and took a photo of them and, and pu- uh, published them on Discord. Discord is a uh, is apparently a gaming site. I, I don't have any first-hand knowledge of it. I seriously doubt that. I think we're going to find eventually, if they, if they can even identify the person who's done this, uh, it will be a younger member of the State Department or some other uh, federal bureaucracy uh, that has acted based on a social justice issue. Uh, that's a, a prediction with no substance other than that's my that's how I, I predict this will this will unfold. Uh, it's a serious issue, though. I mean, it's uh, totally highlighted some of the uh, positions of the United States as it pertains to Ukraine, uh, including their the United States view that the spring offensive by Ukraine will not be effective. Uh, that the air defense systems of, of Ukraine are not adequate, so and more more specific information about that. Well, at the same time, now I'm moving away from the document dump here, just talking about uh, other issues that in my mind have been generated about that. Yep. We know that Russia has ramped up their military supplies. Right now, Russian troops can fire 50,000 artillery sh- shells a day. Ukraine has a tough time even getting to 5,000. So we can see that Russia, as they did during World War II, mm-hmm. uh, under military threat or pressure of any sort, are able to convert their industry rapidly to military uh, pr- production. And that is what we're seeing uh, in, uh, in Ukraine right now, or in general for Russia. If yeah. we look also at the, the sanctions uh, that have been imposed against Russia, Russia is gross GDP, gross domestic product, is growing fast. It's growing faster than Germany's or the UK's this year. Next year it'll grow faster than that of the U.S., Japan, and Italy, and much of the West. Uh, so we're looking at the, the sanctions have, uh, have not impacted significantly on Russia, while at the same time Russia's influence worldwide, as has China's, Bob, uh, by the way, Bob, we talked about that rather, rather extensively, uh, keeps growing across the planet, and the United States' influence keeps, keeps shrinking. So uh, these, are, these are the realities. I think there's very little uh, that's uh, dubious in what I just said. Uh, the facts I gave were accurate. Uh, so we're looking at a circumstance where uh, uh, Ukraine is going to is on the downside of this battle. And by the way, it, while it's still on my mind, let me just ask one question that I don't think has even been considered: If Russia uses field level nuclear weapons in Ukraine, what will we do? 
In other words, yeah. these are limited yield nuclear weapons. Uh, they will not have any extensive reach beyond the area of, of conflict. Uh, what will the United States do? Will the United States see that as a call uh, for an all-out nuclear retaliation? Or how will they handle the situation? Our level of field-level nukes is, from what I understand, very limited. Uh, so I don't even know if we could match Russia in that particular area. So, uh, But that is a discussion that should be had because that is a real potential. Uh, and uh, that would that question would never be raised if uh, President Donald Trump were in office right now. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, this is something that <laughs> Donald Trump went into extensively, uh, how the Afghanistan and uh, Afghanistanian uh, uh, evacuation would have been handled, uh, how he would have dealt with the uh, sea in terms of uh, Taiwan and, and Putin. And, you know, he, he can't prove it. We can't prove it. But I, I have every reason to believe it's true that the invasion of, of Ukraine never would have taken place under Trump's watch. So we're looking at a stolen election in 2020 that might have been the death knell for this country. Right. I'm not saying that's the inevitable destination of where we are right now, Bob, but I think that election, stolen with beyond any reasonable doubt in 2020, right. may have been the most significant event uh, in our history and perhaps world history. Bob. Well, I agree with you. And just on top of that, uh, we just announced yesterday that the federal budget deficit has soared $1.1 trillion in the first half of fiscal 2023. That according to the uh, Congressional Budget Office. So again, <clears throat> the the importance of now this debt ceiling discussion, and uh, the uh, the president right now is intractable. He just will not budge on this issue, and it's going to lead to some serious problems. Well, when you you ascribe to a monetary policy economically, where you believe that you can uh, almost because you have the central bank control of the printing of, of money or uh, issuing of money, if not printing, uh, certainly that is the inevitability of it, Bob. Uh, when you believe that you can spend uh, uh, without any any uh, downside to it, uh, that's exactly what we're seeing, and that's what's creating. Uh, tremendous amount of our inflation and the uh, the limited perspectives we have for the future and the movement uh, perhaps eventually away from the United States dollar as the reserve currency. If that happened, we talked about this briefly last week, that will be a serious blow to America and Americans. I don't even think uh, we can uh, totally appreciate the negative implication that will have. Uh, Absolutely. Well, you know, Andy, right now, I think everything we've talked about and the, the, the various problems that we have in this country just demonstrates that this administration is the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Well, I mean, unfortunately, when they're not shooting straight, they're still hitting Americans right between the eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, point, Andy. Well, it's just uh, it's it's so sad to watch right now because you, you ask yourself, who benefits from this? And it's certainly not the American people. That might be some special interests, you know, with the uh, with the climate change and all these different programs that are going on. But, you know, right now, Americans are suffering from inflation. They have less buying power with the money that they're spending right now. Uh, you know, many people are working two jobs in order to make ends meet. It's really sad what's happening to the and country. And there's a psychological feeling of uh, fragility and uh, of instability in their lives. And uh, so this, these are serious issues as they affect the, the quality of life and let's call it the happiness factor. So, And by the way, thank thank God that Joe Biden and Hunter are over in Ireland uh, curing all the uh, foreign diplomacy issues that have plagued the United States. And by the way, Ireland, uh, its uh, gross domestic uh, product, GDP, has increased over 10% here in the last year. They're just doing all the right things, low tax rates, you name it. So perhaps uh, 
Biden can take a page out of the Ireland. Uh, I mean, I, I can't playbook. think of any place that he should not have been other than Ireland. I mean, just this, you know, just incredible <laughs> that the uh, that he would uh, invest his time there, and, and and I just don't understand this thing. Uh, but of course, I've said that a thousand times during the Biden administration. Absolutely, Andy. Always appreciate your commentary here in the show. And by the way, uh, Andy and I meet for breakfast on occasion. We meet at Lulabee's Diner, the Green Tree Shopping Center. Just to make you all aware that aware that. Uh, Lulabee's Diner Wednesday through Saturday is uh, serving dinner from 4 to 8 p.m. So I encourage you to stop by and enjoy a real uh, casual but tasty and really wonderful uh, dinner at Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center. I, I would mention that to your audience, Bob and I have, have been recently having more lunch than breakfast, and lunch has proven to be just as tasty and uh, and, and and quality as the as the breakfast fare. Well, thank you for those comments, and again, thank you for being on the Bob Harden Show, Andy. Really appreciate your commentary. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow we got some great guests as well, uh, and. Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.